Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about the terror of gender, feminism, and today, the allure of First Lady nostalgia. Every week, we talk about what fresh hell is being unleashed on the girls and the gays, the theys and thems, and anyone else similarly committed to a society free of cis male dominance. Suffice to say, this is no Mojo Doja Casa House. I'm Sachi Cole, and I'll be your guide for the next few weeks in this locomotion through our current dystopian commotion. You might recognize my voice if you're a Scamfluencers listener, or if you heard me crying under the Statue of Liberty replica in the Midtown Manhattan Margaritaville. I don't know why, but there's one particular photo of Casey DeSantis that always makes me laugh. We've probably heard a fair deal about 43-year-old Casey in the last few months as the wife of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Casey has been steadily transitioning her public persona from television anchor to gubernatorial spouse and now to first lady-in-waiting. Ron is running for president, second only in the Republican primary to some jabroni who got indicted on four felony charges relatively recently. So there's a decent chance that we could soon be living in a world with a first lady Casey. Or shall I say, Mama Casey? But winning the fight in Florida is just the beginning. We must protect parents' rights and the innocence of our children. We must restore sanity in our society. We need every mama and every grandmama in every corner of the country to stand up and fight back by electing Ron DeSantis President of the United States of America. Join us by texting MAMAS to 512345. But, like I was saying, the indelible and somehow hilarious photo of Casey. She posted it on her Instagram a little while ago. The picture itself is of Casey and their son last March, ready to watch Ron DeSantis at a State of the State address. She's wearing this floor-length, hot pink satin gown with a few flower details on the -the off-the-shoulder collar. The look is replete, of course, with small pearl earrings, elbow-length white gloves, and what can only be described as gone-with-the-wind hair. Guys, it's a ridiculous outfit. I cannot stop thinking about this dress because I think she looks absurd. She wore this outfit in the middle of the day, which for some reason only makes it funnier to me. Gloves in the middle of the day, like a dowager. This is but one example of Casey engaging in what can only be described as first lady cosplay. The pink dress in question came more than two months before her husband actually announced his candidacy. But even before he did, it was clear through her choice of 60 Styles formal wear that she was ready to be a campaign wife. In the last few months, she's worn a mint green dress with attached cape, a fire engine red dress with attached cape, and an ice blue dress with attached cape. At one point, she mixed it up with a porcelain white blazer with attached cape. That was a really big day. And look, I love a fashion cape as much as the next person, but the message through sartorial choice seems clear. Casey is modeling herself as a first lady after Jackie O. She's been dressing the part, or at least dressing like a cartoon of what the part has historically been. Hello, Melania. It's me, Jackie Kennedy. Oh, Jackie O's! I've come to you in your hour of need. Because I know how very trying being a first lady can be. Yes, thank you, Jackie O's. But tell me, how can I be good first lady when do not make it so hard? All first ladies have a platform. Yours is bullying. Mine was little hats. 
potential first ladies are always shaping themselves after Jackie O. Of all the figures of American history to dress up as, of all of the wives of famous men, why Jackie? The Jackie O wannabe, the Walmart Melania, and then even criticized for your eyebrows. How do you deal with the criticism? I think it's interesting, and you probably can sympathize with this. When they come after you and they're just calling you names, that means they don't want to litigate the merits of their case. They don't want to have that conversation. They want to call you names. They want to try to get you to back down. But I can tell you the number one thing, we will not back down when it comes to our family. Election cycle after election cycle, the ghost of Mrs. Kennedy is evoked by every swing coat worn on the National Mall, from Melania on Inauguration Day to Jill Biden on Inauguration Day. So today, we're going to be joined by Washington Post reporter Ruby Kramer, who wrote a sprawling and fascinating feature on Casey DeSantis. We're going to talk about what we might get from a First Lady DeSantis and why Casey seems to want to be Jackie O in the streets, but a Ted Sorensen in the sheets. Get it? Someone will get that. Don't turn this podcast off to listen to ASMR videos on YouTube. We'll be right back with Ruby in just a few shakes. Hey, Waves listeners. If you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too like last week's about why, amidst the writers and actors' strike, we need to burn Hollywood down. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Sachi Cole, and I'm joined now by the formidable Ruby Kramer. Ruby is a politics feature writer for The Washington Post, and last June she wrote a barn burner titled Tracing the Power of Casey DeSantis. Hi, Ruby. Hi. I don't understand why Casey is getting the most concentrated attention of all of the possible first ladies we could have. It's such a thing. And I even felt some hesitation when I was assigned this piece because on the one hand, she's fascinating. She draws our attention. There's something about her that's a little enigmatic and we want to know more and we can't quite understand why, but there's that thirst. So I was excited to get the assignment, but then I was sort of like, wait a second. Why are we doing this piece? Is it because we're really interested in Casey DeSantis's story and the time she was eight growing up in Ohio and fell off her bike and how that <laughs> formed her? Or are we interested in her because of her husband? And I think this is the catch-22 with writing about first ladies. Then there's another thing going on, which is that Ron DeSantis himself is so inscrutable and comes off as like this very steely, hard-nosed, aggressive yeah. robot conservative type figure from the outside, yeah. at least. And so she's supposed to give him this softer touch, which, again, I'm already using super gendered language to talk about this. But isn't that the point? Like, that is the point of her to create sort of a gender dichotomy, I feel like. Well, <laughs> I guess in her campaign, maybe that's how they're trying to use her. Yeah. The way that we approach some of these female figures on campaigns, it's like they were fully formed the moment that they mm. not married their husbands, but became political spouses. And it's just such a hard thing to write about or think about and talk through as it relates to her as a public figure because we're constantly talking about her through the lens of her husband. Right. And I don't know, is that fair? I mean, that's kind of her role in the campaign. They are looking to her to elucidate a human side of him, to understand him as a father, he has three young kids, uh, to understand him as a husband, a partner, 
the guy who comes home from the office every day and like sits on the couch and what is it the first thing he says i don't know but he's saying it to casey DeSantis. right so we're looking to understand her as a way to understand him as a human being and i think he's like a particularly hard subject to understand well how is casey being positioned within ron's campaign it's clear they're using her and they want to use her um which is why we now have to talk about her so much. <laughs> they definitely want to use her. I will say I've covered campaigns for almost 12 years now, and I've never seen a spouse so involved in just the day-to-day activity on the campaign. Like she's at every event. She's on every trip. She's not only there, but she gets her own speaking time. She's like a headliner. Um, And Ron is constantly kind of gesturing toward her in the audience. He's referencing her in speeches. I am, though, certain that Florida, of all 50 states, we are fortunate to have the best first lady in all 50 states. Like I said, she gets her own speaking slot, and she's, like, very good in front of an audience. She can definitely hold her own. And there were people who used to work with her when she was a TV anchor back in Jacksonville, and they always used to speculate that she would run for office. But she's super involved. And like I said, I think that she's being asked to provide this sort of human edge. And then I guess on the on the back end, too, like behind the scenes, she's a strategist. She is extremely close with a lot of the advisors who work for him. She was really involved when they first came into the governor's mansion in Florida and helping set up the office. She was the first first lady to have her own office attached to the governor's office. Most first ladies work out of the mansion. That's what the previous first lady did. But Casey wanted an office and she wanted her own chief of staff and she got it. And she was meeting with cabinet secretaries, lawmakers in the Florida State House. Uh, If there was a bill that Ron was trying to pass the legislature, she was there lobbying on behalf of it. She had her own initiative. She had a big portfolio. She said from the beginning she didn't want to be a normal first lady. And she wasn't. And you wrote about Ron and Casey being an inner circle of two. Yes. Which feels simultaneously like what I think a lot of, like, political marriages end up being. But the way you wrote it is so (laughs) ominous. I know. (laughs) I kind of love it, but... I'm curious how you think she is influencing his campaign or his policies. It's not it doesn't sound like she's just like a sounding board. It sounds like he's really listening to her, too. Yeah, he's definitely listening. And I think that that one of the things to understand about the DeSantis's is they as people, both individually and together, are super, super private. They seek advice almost exclusively from each other. It's sort of like the final word. They don't have many close friends constantly around like Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton we think of as like this sprawling universe of like crazy people that surrounded yes, them very social friends of party. Bill was literally yeah. an acronym FOB <laughs> I will say that in the reporting of this profile about Casey I searched high and low for really close friends of Casey specifically from the decade or so she spent in Jacksonville as a TV reporter because I'm like I'm a reporter you're a reporter like This is a a social business. It's a chatty job. It's a social business. Wait, so she worked in media and she doesn't have anybody to talk about her from her time working in media? She does, but they're more like colleagues. Like Every person I spoke to, to a letter, basically said, you're not going to get super, super close to understanding this person because she never really let anyone close enough to understand her, even back then. So... She was for a decade a like TV news anchor in Jacksonville. 
Um, she held a couple different jobs there at two different stations, mostly. And then when Ron was elected governor, she moved to Tallahassee and basically stopped talking to all of her Jacksonville people. So they were like, we haven't heard from her. You know, it's been almost five years, whatever. When she left, she just changed her number disconnected the phone so to speak to to use an old term and she started a new life i can't believe you're winning me over with this story i kind of admire that you kind of like it's to fully like boundaries right this is what this is what this is really about guys it's about boundaries boundaries. (laughs) another lesson another 21st century lesson in boundaries they're young they're a young couple they're super young so she'll have decades in in public life after this election, whatever happens. So what do you totally. think that looks like for her? I think if you look at her from the outside, as I did throughout the reporting on this story, I thought, okay, this is a modern first lady. She's redefining the terms of what it means to be a political spouse. She's taking on a huge portfolio. She is the voice in the room that matters most. They're doing this together. They're equal partners. He's the governor, but she's kind of like co-governor like they're they're doing it together i was like hey this is what a modern marriage looks like and then on the other hand she shies away from that kind of language entirely she makes a point in public of deferring to her husband so heavily that it's almost like we get it you know her whole posture in these public events is like i'm here to support him so they have this interesting mix of traditional and modern but i think like you said like i think she would probably say like no i'm just here playing a supporting role but that's not really the reality they're partners it's interesting to think about the sort of comparisons that we could make to past first ladies right like one of the things that her staff their staff hated was the idea of a hillary bill comparison Mm. the idea that you get two for one is the the phrase that people used about Hillary and Bill. And they really didn't like that. Like whenever I brought it up, they were like, that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. And I think maybe that's to put the focus on DeSantis. I don't know. Maybe it's because conservative voters don't like the idea of a modern partnership. But to me, it actually looks pretty modern, despite like what she would say about it or how she would describe it. What it looks like is maybe different than what she's saying. Exactly. But, you know, she is there to support him. And I got. I also have to say, you know, he is the one who's creating this really conservative agenda, right? Like he's he's the one who signs laws. He's the one who's pushed this culture war in Florida and completely transformed the state. But by all accounts, she is fully, fully on board with even the like very extreme or more hard right leaning parts of this agenda. She's fully embracing it. She talks a lot about how kids are getting, yeah. you know, whatever in school and the book stuff. She's just on board. She's on board as, and, and is lending the credentials of being a young mother to that effort. Right. I wanted to ask you about that because there's so much about the DeSantis campaign that makes me nervous as a person who lives in the in the world. You know, he uh, opposed DACA. He banned trans girls and women from competing in sports in Florida. He supported the Don't Say Gay law. He's banning gender affirming care. He's fighting with Bud Light. That last one I find obviously the most <laughs> offensive. But I'm, I think but it would be a inter- transformed landscape. I think things would be culturally and policy wise extremely yeah. different, more so than another Donald Trump presidency. <laughs> 
it's interesting to see how Casey is being used to soften a lot of this, because as with Trump, Melania wasn't a soft, gentle breeze to come in to soften any of his messaging. But Casey is effective in that way, right? And in that way, I am more afraid of her. She's way more effective. Melania is wearing the I don't care to you shirt. Um, Casey literally wore a leather jacket that on the back said, Florida, where woke goes to die. So... (laughs) Sorry to be sartorial about like the women here, but she's telling us that she's on board in every single possible way. She's on stage saying that this is the agenda that the country needs. She's mobilizing young mothers, which she has an initiative called Mamas for DeSantis. Yes. Very specific language. Yes, ma'am. Well, we are going to launch the largest mobilization of moms and grandmothers across the United States of America to protect the innocence of our children and to protect the rights of parents. It's a little girl bossy. It's super millennial gone Florida, I guess. Gone south. I don't know. I'm going to put that on a Tumblr. (laughs) Mamas. And she says grandmamas, too. I had never heard before I started reporting this story. But she's, she's mobilizing mothers. She is literally wearing the message on her back. She's a great messenger. She's very, very skilled. She has specific ideas of how she can translate the fire in DeSantis's belly, right? That comes out as like kind of angry sometimes mm. and it's very abrasive. Yeah, like she mitigates seen, things. She does. Yeah. She she knows how to contextualize those things and to explain them in ways that are way more accessible and emotionally relatable. Okay, we're going to take a break here. But if you're a fan of the Sex and the City sequel and just like that, you should stick around to hear our Slate Plus segment. Every week, Slate producer Shayna Roth recaps the show with a different Slate guest. This week, Shayna has Daisy Rosario on the show to talk all about Episode 9. And if you want to support this show or any of the other shows you hear on Slate, consider joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no hitting the paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus. All right, we're back with Ruby Kramer from The Washington Post talking Casey DeSantis and First Lady fantasies. Do you think that a Casey DeSantis-Jackie O comparison is apt? Or is that what she wants us to think? Or are we just reading too much into these outfits? I feel like it's so hard because our cultural reference system for First Ladies is so limited, right? So I don't know. It feels like we're trying to put her in a box She's obviously drawn Jackie O comparisons because of some of her dresses and capes and like she has the white gloves going on, which is textbook Jackie. But they're very squirmy about comparisons to former first ladies. It seems like they they do want some of it. You don't dress like that without having it be on purpose in that position. Yeah. The formality of her outfit seems to be telling something to us. And I'm curious what we're supposed to take from it. Right. I think, in a sense, it's the same way that she approached the actual job and portfolio of being First Lady in Florida. I think that there's a weight to what she's trying to communicate with some of her choices. The DeSantis's are to be taken seriously. They are a landmark pair when it comes to governing 
in a governor's mansion. And just, you know, obviously it happens to be in Florida, but you stop and pay attention. And I think it's like her husband is saying, no one's ever governed like this. And I think she's saying, yeah, pay attention to us. Like we, we are a force to be reckoned with. She's dressing the part of a national first lady and she's, you know, a first lady of Florida. Um, And maybe she, maybe we're reading too much into it. I don't know. Like, is it even fair to be talking about, but she's signaling that there's a message that comes with some of the, the clothes that she's chosen. Yeah. It feels like, it feels very intentional. Yeah. I think she's saying we're a, like we're canon. Like we are, we're canon. We're part of the American political story. See, that's really interesting. And that feels like what a lot of people are trying to indicate with Jackie. Because her whole thing is that she was like a clean member of the Kennedys. Yes. Jackie didn't true. do anything wrong. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> she true. she was, she 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 just, she got pulled into like a mess, yeah. right? Yeah. Two Republicans, the Kennedys are a very, very flawed family. They're a flawed family to everybody. But she's like the one part she's like the side of the family that you can look to and be like but wasn't she beautiful yeah she's untouchable you can't argue with her but but you can like i agree you can try you can try but um you're right there's something that is like in a class of she's in a class of her own she's a little bit untouchable she's a little bit inscrutable yeah. How would you kind of compare her to some of the other first ladies that are going to come out in the primaries in the oh my Republican gosh. race? Is there anybody that we're even kind of looking at that's in that even has a name? Karen Pence has a name. Um, oh, mother. You mean mother? <laughs> yes. I right. love mother. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We know about Melania Trump. Mm-hmm. We're familiar with her for Is she sure. Gonna, she's not going to tolerate this again. She hasn't been around, I, I'll just say. It, like, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen her in a while, I guess. And Trump has been around, you know. So who else is there? Like, who else is running? Yeah, Lisa Hutchinson? I don't know who he's married to. But this is, like, this is interesting because people, th- there are certain spouses that are fully, very much on our radar. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle Obama is an example. Hillary Clinton was an example. They are presenting themselves to be known. They're, they're key figures in understanding who these people are and in how they would govern. Is she more of a Nancy Reagan? Possibly. I think people were terrified of Nancy Reagan. And I think people are very scared of Casey DeSantis. But I think people were scared that Nancy Reagan was really the one pulling the strings in the background. And that's a criticism you hear of DeSantis a lot, that Casey is, like I said, the co-governor secretly pushing her on agenda on Ron. I don't think that's really accurate. I think Ron DeSantis is fully in control of his right. policy agenda. has a has always been a very hardline conservative, constitutional conservative, quote unquote. One of my favorite details from the reporting this piece was someone said who used to work for him in Congress said that he only liked to talk about three things: golf, baseball, and the Constitution. <laughs> anyway, so sounds like a fun dinner party, guess. Um, you know he he has had a vision of conservative government for years and he's carried that out in florida and we've seen it like so i don't think that casey is really the the puppet master or anything in these terms i mean i i kind of hate them like it's more complicated than that and it's not how any marriage really works yeah like i don't care where you are in the political spectrum that's just not how relationships partnerships work yeah so well 
you know, whatever people think about the comparison to other first ladies, it's clear Casey is using her clothes, her appearance, her energy to, you know, sway votes in her husband's favor. She is looking the part. And so I'm curious, does that mean we can criticize her appearance since it's kind of part of the campaign? And I want to be clear when I say we, I do not mean men because her appearance is being used. Clearly, is there a way to talk about these clothing choices without us sort of delving into kind of the most boring sexism available? Right. It's a such an interesting question. It feels so thorny, and she is a beautiful woman. Like it's it's that's reality. That's she's beautiful. She's making very specific choices with her clothes that that send a message. Clothes send a message. Their art, their fashion, um, their its style, and yeah, I don't think we should ignore that. I mean, when I was asking colleagues to tell me a little bit about her when um, she was a TV anchor in Jacksonville, some of the things that many people said were that she was really, Casey was really hard on herself about her appearance. Mm. What woman isn't? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that she talked about. She would review tape of of her old segments and be like, I could have done this here. I could have held my legs that way. I, I, look too, I don't look skinny enough. I don't look this. I don't look that. That's what she talked about. I, I did not include that in the story because I didn't, you know, want to bring in the way that, you know, we talk about women's appearances, that's what she, that's one of the things that she talked about when she worked at this particular TV station. So I kind of feel like we have to talk about it because not talking about it would just be ignoring an obvious factor and facet of what's happening here. Um, I just hope that we can talk about it in a better way than we did like 10 years ago. And I think we will. It's a low bar. Oh, you're such an optimist. (laughs) Um, Well, Representative David Jolly called her America's Karen. Casey DeSantis is a fairly compelling political figure in Florida and now nationally. For many, she's the brighter side to Florida's angry governor. For others, she's become America's Karen. And I think that's the ultimate disconnect here with a campaign that needs to embrace more constituencies to get to the White House. Which leads me to a question I ask often about women in politics. What is the appropriate way to make fun of Casey DeSantis? Mm-hmm. I love asking political reporters. I know I'm like, like these because you guys get so sweaty and so I literally nervous, I'm like sweating. I'm, I'm moving around in my chair. It's a real pleasure. For um, me to watch. Let me just try to be the most human being, yeah. human being that I can possibly mm-hmm. be. As a reporter, what joke would you make about Casey? Oh, my God. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It wouldn't be America's Karen. Like, is this like the easy answer? It would be to make fun of her husband. Oh, that's a great answer. Right? Like she, terrible taste. She's chosen yeah. this guy who is like picking out quest bars in the gas station. Did you <laughs> in see his this? cowboy boots? Yeah. And his four well, inch cowboy yeah. boots. Yeah. That would be I guess like that's that would be the most accessible way to make fun of them. But I don't know if that's a good answer. I think that's a terrific answer okay sorry ron sorry casey no you did pick out a quest bar (laughs) he did (laughs) like it needs to be stated (laughs) that you went to a gas station like you could have gotten anything (laughs) and then he's also telling the the kid like he runs into this kid on the campaign trail in iowa and he's like oh what is that an icy yeah that's probably a lot of sugar huh good to see you all right Oh, God. Ruby, we're about to get into the goofiest part of this campaign. I can't wait. It's all good stuff for like eight months, and then it gets scary. (laughs) 
Yep. My thanks to our guest, Washington Post features writer, Ruby Kramer. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming, Ruby. Didn't today's episode make you want to step back into the 60s? Pillbox hats, pearl necklaces, nothing else defining about American history during that decade. Anyway. You know, one of my favorite things about being a woman is relishing in my divine petty energy. I learned how to be petty from the best, my mother, who, by the way, is still mad at me because in 2002, I became taller than her. And since I love being petty, I love hearing about other people digging in their heels, too. And so every week, we like to end on a high note with, you owe me an apology, wherein one of our listeners tells us about someone who owes them an apology. Today's guest is Elamine Abdel-Makmoon, host of The Commotion on CBC Radio. Let's hear it, Elamine. Okay, you know who owes me an apology is this guy named Charles, okay? This is a man who gave my book a one-star review. That is not what he owes me an apology for. He owes me an apology because he says, I gave up on page 96. I had no interest in pop culture or wrestling or the trials of Muslims in the West. And my problem with that is that it says right on the front flap that that is what my book is about. My guy, why did you pick up my book? You are haunting my dreams. Apologize. Incredible. Did you guys know Elamine wrote a book? You learn something new every day. That's our show this week. I'm Sachi Cole. I'm your host, and I wrote and executive produced this episode. The Waves is produced by Shayna Roth. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com or find me on Instagram at at Saatchi, S-C-A-A-C-H-I. We want to hear your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, and of course, about anyone who owes you an apology. Please direct any complaints or criticisms to your nearest active volcano. The Waves will be back next week. In the meantime, don't let the man keep you down. Hey there, we're going to be talking about and just like that for this plus segment. That means there's going to be spoilers. Welcome to The Waves. This is our and just like that recap. Episode nine, the kids are hooking up. I'm Shayna Roth, senior producer at Slate. And I'm Daisy Rosario, senior supervising producer of audio here at Slate. Every week, we're recapping the latest of season two of HBO's Sex and the City sequel series, the fashion, the quips, the WTF moments. And Daisy, I'm so excited to have you back. I'm excited to be here. In the year of Aiden. Oh, my goodness. Or Aiden era. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many mixed feelings about him. Sure. Not going to lie. There's so many plot lines going on here, and we're going to jump into all of it. But first, I have a question for you. Max has not yet announced if it will be renewing and just like that for a third season. But watching this episode, it really feels like we're kind of wrapping everything up and that we're not going to come back, especially when it comes to Carrie. What do you think? Mm-hmm. That's how I feel, too. And I'm upset about it. I don't like <laughs> it. Uh, I feel like the show is finally finding its groove. But yeah, no, it does. It feels like they're wrapping everybody up. Like even the way that you could say that some of the characters have are starting to return to form, if you will, right? Like it really does feel like that. 
It feels like the back half of the season, we've really started to hit our stride and figured out what to do with a lot of these characters. But this episode, when Carrie said, I am selling my apartment, I am getting rid of it, that is when it hit me that, oh, I don't know that they're coming back because we have seen her in that apartment. Even when it went away for a little bit, she came back to it. You know, she's had it through her marriage with Big and through his death. And then she moved. It's just that apartment sort of is the touchstone of the show. And to get rid of that, it feels like I don't know that we're coming back. And I'm just bummed about it. I really like spending time with these characters. I mean, you and I have talked about this and pretty much almost every guest has like, uh, you know, on this little recap podcast that we've been putting together. But I was actually guest hosting ICYMI this week, which is, you know, one of our slate shows. It's about internet culture. And we were talking about the lawsuit that's going on with Lizzo and about like Doja Cat attacking her fans and stuff. And it's just like, I just feel so aware that in the last, what, 10 to 15 years, I've had to let go of so many people that I've been a fan of in pop culture and like really just look at certain things differently, like whether it's like growing up loving the Cosby show or, you know, just other musicians or different things like that. There's just been a lot of people that we had to kind of get rid of. And even though this show has always had its issues, I feel like the fans like we've talked about them and we've acknowledged them and it's still a fiction that I can really enjoy even when I laugh at it and or think it's being weird or silly. And so yeah, uh, for all of the complaints we've had about the show, uh, I know that we like to say that we kind of, you know, we don't always like the show, but we do love the show. I just am, I'm bummed about kind of like losing these friends again, because that is how it feels. And plus, we know that we still haven't seen Samantha. So knowing that that's coming. Yeah, if that's just sort of the, the end of the series is just her having a phone call with them. I don't know that I will enjoy that. Like, I feel like there needs to be more. If you're going to bring her back, there needs to be more than just the one time. But we will keep an eye out to see if it's coming back. That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to slate.com slash the waves plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash the waves plus.